You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 6. The, uh, this is one of the most beloved stories in Daniel, maybe one of the most beloved stories in all of the Bible. We, uh, we have stories that stand out to us, especially when we grew up and we had maybe our parents or grandparents read to us Bible stories. We, we think of, when we think of David, many times our minds go to David and Goliath. When we think of Noah, our minds immediately go to the ark. Uh, when we think of Daniel, uh, our minds typically immediately go to the lion's den. And uh, this is uh, the story of Daniel in the den of lions. Daniel 6, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king, and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They came near and said, before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. When the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. 
Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persons that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the, the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, for this wonderful story, and uh, we pray now in its familiarity, Lord, that you would once again open our eyes to understand the, the truth of it and what you have to say to us today from it. And I pray that you would use me as your servant, Lord. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, chapter 5, we looked at the story of Belshazzar and we noticed how as a ruler of Babylon, he didn't want any prophet of the Lord, um, and, but, but all of that changed when God intervened, and he wrote those four words on the wall of the palace, and you remember only Daniel could interpret the handwriting on the wall. He alone, of all of the wise men uh, and government officials and counselors in Babylon could Tell the king, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And that very night it was so. So here's Darius now. Darius the Mede, uh, the new ruler. Obviously he's taken notice of Daniel and these uh, extraordinary events that have happened. We, we, we shouldn't be that surprised in verse 1 uh, that, Daniel, uh, that Darius has... Uh, it says, set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one. Verse three, we read that Daniel excelled above the other two of those three rulers because an excellent spirit was in him. And in fact, he excelled so much that King Darius was getting ready to set him over the whole kingdom. It's an amazing testimony, I think, of of the hand and grace of God and, and also the faithfulness of Daniel because Daniel is now somewhere around 80 years old at this point in the book and he continues to flourish 
and be fruitful in exile. I think in many ways he epitomizes the words in Psalm 92 which says this, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They're planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there's no unrighteousness in him. That's Daniel. Now in our text this morning, we're giving a look into, you might even say, the window of his own home uh, to uh, what perhaps is his secret. What is it that has sustained this man for for you know, 70 years or so in Babylon, in exile in Babylon with relentless temptations and relentless pressures and his life is often in the balance with the decisions that, that he makes. How did he remain faithful? Verse 10 tells us, doesn't it? Three times a day is Daniel's habit to go and get on his knees and pray to the God of heaven. It was in his abiding in God that he grew like a cedar in Lebanon, that, that, that where he flourished. This is how faithfulness came forth in Daniel's life. This is how he, he passed, it seemed like, every test, every temptation that came before him. Daniel is on his knees in prayer. We're also reminded here, though, in chapter 6, that the life of faith that we're called to must be live to the very end and that just because we've had some earlier victories uh, and rescues that 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 can't be taken as a guarantee that there's not going to be any future crises and chapter 6 is a testimony of that four reasons uh, that I want you to see this four truths from our passage first of all it's this the relentless uh, relentlessness of Satan to devour God's people the relentlessness. That, I think that's the lesson of verses 1 through 9. We've seen this again and again in Daniel. It seems like it's a repeating theme and story. Uh, and, and we've noted how Daniel is a history of the, uh, really the great battle that is continually taking place between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of, of man, between Satan and Christ, and therefore Satan and Christ's people. Sinclair Ferguson notes this, that later on, we'll see this in chapter 7, that Daniel was to learn of a figure who would persecute, or, or more literally in the text, wear out the saints of the Most High God. Ferguson writes, certainly the powers of darkness have endeavored to wear out Daniel since the beginning of his captivity by wave upon wave of attacks on his faithfulness to God. And we note here one final effort being made. Daniel's excellent spirit and success in governing may have been part of the reason that the other leaders hated them and why they wanted to scheme against him here in Daniel chapter 6. And they couldn't find any reasons unless they could figure out a way to use Daniel's devotion to God against him. Uh, that was their plan. Jeff Thomas writes this, when the gates of hell wanted to destroy Daniel, that secret place 
is where they attacked him. They will point at his praying and his seriousness about divine things. They know there's no hope of attacking him anywhere else. They couldn't come up with an accusation like he's dipping his hand into the king's money because Daniel was faithful, it says. But one thing they could guarantee about Daniel is that he would not stop praying. And so verse 6 says these high officials satraps they came by agreement to the king with a proposal to king darius the language there by the way if you remember psalm 2 it's reminiscent of that when it talks about the rulers of the world taking counsel together conspiring against the lord against his anointed speaking of christ their proposal is that the king should establish this ordinance that for uh, that whoever makes petition or prayer to any god or man for 30 days they should only do so except to king darius no one can pray except if they pray to king darius that was the law that they wanted him to sign for 30 days darius would be the only representative between uh, man and god and the only mediator between god and man and needless to say here in the text darius doesn't take a lot of convincing for this who wouldn't want to be god for 30 days right i mean his rule would be unquestioned uh he would be the one deity worshiped in all of the all of the kingdom what a, what a unifying factor here at the beginning of his rule uh, in this land what could be more unifying than to draw all attention and authority and power to Darius maybe the people would like it so much they'd want to keep it after 30 days now you're you're smart people you you, you can figure this out this morning but I don't want you to miss this because while the satraps and have their scheme to remove Daniel for for office you can see right through this can't you that Satan has another scheme He wants to stop Daniel from praying. Satan doesn't care if Daniel continues as prime minister. That's not his concern. What he's concerned about is Daniel's relationship with God, his prayer life. I know the focus of this story is often the lions at the end of the chapter, and we're all excited to get there, but I don't want you to miss here at the very beginning the presence of the lion right here. It's the same lion that Peter would later warn us about in the New Testament. He said, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's exactly what's going on here. Satan wants to keep Daniel from going to the throne of grace in the time of his need. Satan could see what... Uh, what being to the throne of grace had done for Daniel for some 80 years here of his life. He could see the results of that. There were lessons that, that perhaps Daniel could not have learned anywhere else unless he was at the feet of the Lord. Psalm, I think it's, a, again, reflection of Psalm 92. Daniel was rooted as a cedar in Lebanon. He was planted in the house of the Lord on his knees. He was in the very courts of God over and over. This is what enabled him to flourish. This is what is, is empowering him to be faithful. This is what kept him singing the Lord's song while he was in Babylon. And Satan wanted to, dis- to stop that. Satan knew 
that the church would triumph in Babylon only if it went in its weakness to God and asked for His grace over and over again. Only that church, only that people of God would have any future, any hope in Babylon. And that's why this bogus law, and that's why Satan is relentless in his attacks on the people of God. That's why he will attack you and me at the point of your prayer life and your devotion life. Sadly, um, I'm not sure it takes the threat of lions to deter us from prayer. It takes much more minimal things, doesn't it? If you would just stop lying, though, he tells Daniel here, no lions will threaten you. Think about how much life would be easier. Just stop praying so much. Put more trust in yourself. This is a warning to us, isn't it, church? Thomas puts it so, again, eloquently. He says, the dangers which we cannot see with our eyes or hear with our ears are far more threatening than the visible things. Let me rephrase it for you. The lion that you can't see is more dangerous than the lions that you can. Beware of this in your life. It's why verse 10 is so refreshing, and we say there the faithfulness of Daniel to pray. That's the second point, the faithfulness of Daniel to pray. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. And notice this phrase, as he had done previously. Now, I know, again, the focus of this story is often on the lion's den at the end, but I want you to note that the great battle in this chapter takes place right here in verse 10. Not in the lion's den, but in Daniel's living room, you see. The great miracle in Daniel's sex is that Daniel continued to pray in the midst of this threat. When he got down on his knees once more, the Bible says, as he had been doing when he overcame perhaps the temptations of, of the laziness of his cold heart and the temptations of the flesh that would, that would seek to lead him to comfort and safety. When he turned away from a hundred and one other details in his life to once again get down on his knees and pray to the God of heaven. Veldkamp writes this, it is a wonder of Wondrous miracle that God preserves one of his children in the lion's den, but it is no less a miracle that God's gracious hand saved Daniel when all of Babylon, goaded by Satan, attempted to pry apart those two aged hands tightly in prayer. It reminds us that one of the great marks of of our faith is that we keep praying, isn't it? We keep being faithful in the midst of opposition. We, we keep striving against all of those temptations that you could be running through your mind uh, from, from uh, distractions to, to all kinds of things it, because it shows us as we're faithful in the midst of those, that fight, that opposition, that we fear God more than we fear man. 
that our confidence, our trust, our hope is in God alone. It's worth noting a few things about Daniel's prayer. First, the focus of his prayer. Notice that he went to his house where his windows were open toward Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? I think probably because of Solomon's instructions in 1 Kings 8, uh, 46 through 41. It spoke there about uh, looking ahead prophetically when the people of God were in captivity in a foreign land. They were to look to the city of God, to the house that Solomon had built for Yahweh. It shows us, I think, in Daniel 9, we'll clarify this even more when we get there. It shows us more about what he prayed, but it shows us that his concern was the welfare of the people of God. He's praying not just with himself in mind, but he's praying with his church in mind. It's a great reminder. I know we're encouraged to pray about everything. Daniel encourages us not to neglect to pray for our church for brothers and sisters in Christ around us. Secondly, we note the consistency of his prayer. He gets down on his knees three times a day. It says this was what he had done previously. I think we should note that part of the reason that this decision for Daniel uh, against this law was because, why it was uh, perhaps helpful, why it was easy for him was because this has been an ongoing practice in his life. Now, if we're honest today, most of the time we wait for the crisis to come, and that's when we get on our knees three times a day, isn't it? No, Daniel's been doing this all along. Here's what Davis notes. He says, his consistency assisted his courage. His discipline fed his faithfulness. And so we we say this differently. We say, don't wait for a crisis to become a faithful prayer. Amen? This needs to be a part of our habit every day. To be, to be prayerful. And third, we notice the posture of his prayer. He got down on his knees. And uh, I realized that, that outward signs can certainly be empty. We can go through rituals and it not mean anything at all. But here, I think it's important. It shows Daniel's humility, Daniel's dependence on God. Uh, he, he's going to bow his knee before Yahweh. He is, he, he's, uh, his allegiance is, is to God. I don't remember who, who said this or, or where it was said, honestly, but, but uh, something to the effect that the church only can move forward on its, on its knees. It's so true, isn't it? I think that's pictured here. The destiny of the church in Babylon, the destiny of God's people there in exile, it was decided right there in Daniel's living room much before it was decided in the den of lions. We move forward on our knees. The last two lessons of the text belong together. Third, we see the inability of the king to deliver. That seems to be the focus of verses 12 through 18. Uh, Again, this is a trap that has been set with this law. They know Daniel's routine. They've witnessed this. They know this about him. Uh, and so they, they know that he's violated the law, so they go to the king. You notice how crafty they are. Uh, verse 12, O king, did you not sign an injunction? You know, did you not ban this, this sort of thing for 30 days? Uh, then verse 13, Daniel, one of the exiles, pays no attention to you, king. Notice how they set that up, which is not true. He doesn't care at all about you. Daniel's not paying any attention to all about you. He's just personally defying you 
outright. He does so three times a day. He's not just hostile towards you. He's habitually hostile towards you. Verse 14, the king, interestingly, is actually a supporter of Daniel, isn't it? Notice that he goes to work right away to rescue him, to deliver him. But the men hold the king to his word, and so, verse 16, he has Daniel cast into the den of lions. It's kind of surprising then, the focus is, verses 16 16 through 20, is on King Darius and not on Daniel. Because I would have been, and I think I still am, much more interested to know what Daniel went through in the lion's den. Like, tell me about that night, how this happened. You know, know, describe it for me. But instead, the storyteller here focuses on Darius, doesn't he? On Darius's anxiety, verse 18, the king went to this palace, spent the night fasting, no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fed from him. And I'm like, okay, so you had a sleepless night, but you weren't in the lion's den. Like, I want to know what happened in there. It's odd, isn't it, that this is where the focus is. All we hear about is the terrible night Darius had. Well, you look at the storyline here, what's being said. I mean, verse 12, let's be honest. Darius is kind of a naive king. I mean, he signs this law, which is weird, 30-day. I mean, you know, he's kind of naive. Verse 14, he's very compassionate towards Daniel. He really wants to rescue Daniel. Ultimately, verse 16, though, what does it say? He's helpless to rescue Daniel. And I tell you, I think the text is reminding us that though rulers may not be personally hostile to us, that we dare not pin our hopes on them. Elections are important, laws are important, but you understand, church, they cannot deliver us. Darius even makes the point for us, doesn't he? Verse 16, at the end, he declares to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Some of the translations see that as a kind of a wish or hope, but more literally, I think it's, it reads as an affirmation. It says this, your God, whom you serve continually, will deliver you. I think, again, the text is reminding us, doing perhaps a little bit of preventative theology, it seems to be reminding Israel, reminding the people of God, you may have rulers in high places who are well disposed towards you, but don't rest in them as your hope. For even with all of their apparent power, here's what Davis says, they can prove as helpless as Samson without hair. He's trying to bash idols before they become idols. Our deliverance today is not found in better leaders. It's not found in a better government. It's not found in better leaders. Darius might have been more compassionate than Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he may have been, uh, you know, more kind and wise than Belshazzar was, chapter 5. But he's not the deliverer. He's not able to save. Our deliverance is not found in better leaders. It's not found in better methods. We don't look for it there. Those things can provide temporary relief, but not salvation. No, it's the fourth point, isn't it? The power of God to save. The power of God to save. 
That's the theme, verses 19 and following. Notice 19, it's worthy to read again. At break of day, the king arose, went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a loud tone of anguish, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? I wonder how long Daniel paused. Then Daniel said, O king, live forever. My God, just hearing his voice would have been amazing, right? My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. This is the only time Daniel speaks in this whole chapter, right? His, uh, and his simple words are this, my God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. That's all it needs to be said, isn't it? My God saved me. God did this. He delivered me in an amazing way. Verse 23, he was taken up out of the den. No kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Notice that. How was Daniel saved? What does the text tell us? Because he did what? Are you following along? He trusted in God, right? That's what it says. He trusted in God. That's the testimony of, he- of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33. The faith hall of fame talked about those who by faith shut the mouths of lions. Daniel's trust was in God. He-, he believed that if the Lord willed this in his life, if the Lord was not finished with him yet, that not one lion would harm him. We have an amazing God, don't we? That he has that kind of power to turn hungry, deadly lions into playful kittens. That's the other part of this. And Jeff Thomas, again, I I quote him here. Another reason Daniel was saved. I love this. He says, When all the angels of heaven gathered together to receive their nightly duties from the Lord, one of them was given this extraordinary task. Go to Babylon, and there my beloved servant Daniel is to be thrown into a den of lions. Keep the mouth of every lion closed. And that angel came at the speed of divinity and did God's bidding. Isn't that a wonderful way to put that? So you have faith here, you have trust, and you have help. And the two are, are, are tied together, aren't they? But don't miss the point of this. The point of this actually is not the deliverance. The excitement of this is the trust. It's the faith part of it. God, because you know this, God doesn't always rescue his servants from martyrdom, does he? He doesn't always do that. And in fact, Daniel's rescue here is extraordinary. That's why, we, that's why it's one of our favorite stories. It's exceptional. It's extraordinary. It's not something that happens every day. In fact, it doesn't happen very often at all. More often than not, it's martyrdom that gives God more glory than deliverance. But in this case, God was not finished with Daniel yet. The story closes there with the judgment of those who had accused Daniel. By the way, they were thrown into the den of lions. Their gods were not able to deliver them. 
And in the closing verses, Daniel or Darius himself gives testimony to who can. This is phenomenal. He says, verse 26, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. This God, he delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Once again, what a mighty God we serve. That's why we, the story is so beloved. As we close, it's not surprising that the early church saw in this story a foretaste of Christ. And, and I think in many ways, uh, several ways, and, and, and in fact, you, you, you can uh, see some of them, but uh, we might say that just as Daniel here was framed by jealous political leaders, it reminds you of something what our Lord went through at the end of his life, framed by jealous religious leaders. Uh, just like Daniel was arrested while praying uh, in a private location, so... Our Lord Jesus was arrested while praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just like King Darius worked for Daniel's release, you've got Pilate who tries uh, to release Jesus. And then you have both Daniel and Jesus who are turned over to be executed. And remarkably, a large stone is placed over that den of lions just as a a large stone is placed over the tomb of our Lord. It is also, uh, the entrance is sealed, you remember. But do you remember that when the angels were gathered together to receive instructions for that day, that one of those angels was sent to roll away that stone? It would be very interesting to see if it was the same angel or not to hear that story. We won't know until we get there. But when he rode away that stone from the den of death, there came forth the Prince of Life, our Lord Jesus, who conquered sin and death once and for all, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. That's Daniel's God, isn't it? A saving God. And he is our Savior too, if we trust him. Have you put your trust in him? Are you trusting him even now with your life? Lord, we thank you for this wonderful story again and for how uh, it shows us, Lord, the miracle of your grace at work in Daniel's life, enabling him to be faithful. We pray for that same miracle, Lord, in our own hearts and lives. We also note that it was because he was so near to you in prayer that you sustained him in this way, and we pray that you would help us, Lord, to have habits like Daniel of consistently and constantly going to you and are uh, to live, to have mercy, to, to be faithful. 
And so, Lord, please help us in doing these things. We pray today for those uh, that may be hearing this, not sure, Lord. We pray that you, through this story, might reveal yourself to them and the great work that you've done through Jesus Christ, our, our Lord, that he has won the victory, Lord. And so we pray for those who are lost today, that they might come to see the glory of the God who delivers and rescues, this God who is Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.